You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Turla's back, this time with watering holes and compromised Armenian websites. Data exposures are reported in the Netherlands and the United States. China accuses Taiwan of waging cyber warfare in an attempt to disrupt Beijing's management of the coronavirus epidemic. The U.S. and the EU separately undertake efforts to suppress COVID-19 disinformation and the ins and outs of teleworking. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, March 12, 2020. Bleeping Computer reports that Turla, also known as Snake or Venomous Bear, appears to be back. ESET reports two previously unrecorded malicious tools, one a downloader, the other a backdoor, in a watering hole staged from compromised Armenian government and government-related sites. CyberScoop says the compromised sites belong to the consular section of Armenia's embassy in Moscow and an Armenian foreign policy think tank. The Register observes that one reason the operation has gone unremarked for so long is the campaign's patient and discernment. Turla won't install its malware, for example, until it's determined that the victim is a sufficiently high-level target. Once it decides the target is worthy, the infection proceeds along familiar lines, posing as a fake Adobe Flash Player update. Turla is generally regarded as a unit belonging to one of Russia's intelligence services, probably the FSB Foreign Intelligence Service. That's consistent with its quieter, less obtrusive performance, which has become recognized as a hallmark of an FSB operation. Contrast that with the heavier hand of the GRU. Fancy Bear, for example, tends to come in fast and loud. Turla has also been associated with false flag operations in the recent past, including a campaign that convincingly represented itself, for a while anyway, as an Iranian operation. Two significant data breaches have come to light. According to ZDNet, the Netherlands government has lost hard drives containing the personal information of almost 7 million organ donors. The drives stored electronic copies of all organ donor forms filled with the Dutch donor register between February 1998 to June 2010. The two drives were placed into secure physical storage back in 2016, pending eventual disposal as authorities migrated to newer storage systems. But earlier this year, when the donor register went looking for the drives, well, they were nowhere to be found. And they haven't turned up yet, either. 
The personally identifiable information on the missing drives includes first and last name, gender, date of birth, address at the time of the form, choice for organ donations, ID numbers, and a copy of the user's signature. Dutch authorities say there's been no sign that anyone's actually used any of the lost information and that since the data falls short of what would count as fulls in the Netherlands, no official identification documents, for example, it's highly unlikely they'd be used for fraud or identity theft. Well, okay then, but that reassurance sounds a little like whistling past the graveyard or whistling past the transplant center. The team at MediaPro recently published the latest version of their State of Privacy and Security Awareness Report. Tom Pendergast is Chief Learning Officer at MediaPro. One of the things we've always tried to do is combine cybersecurity and privacy because we think that for most people, those kind of go hand in hand. They, they may not for professionals, but they do for the general employee. So one of the intriguing things we found is that like 20, 20 months after GDPR's implementation, and that's the, the European General Data Protection Regulation, most employees do not know whether their organization needs to comply with GDPR or not. And I think we're going to hit the exact same thing with this new California uh, law, the California Consumer Privacy Act, which went into effect on January 1. 62% are unsure about CCPA. So we've got these, what professionals are calling the most sweeping privacy laws ever in history, and you've got a majority of population that doesn't know a thing about it. So that's hmm. pretty interesting. Me. What, what do you suppose the disconnect is there? I think that general employees don't yet really understand that these regulations impose obligations on their companies that they need to know about. So, you know, if, if you're working in a call center, it may just not connect up with you uh, that you have a role to play in not asking for information that you don't need in assuring people that they have access to any, any personal data that they share. So I think, and, and that's just one example, but I think that there's a kind of a disconnect between the way people are regularly doing their jobs and these, these laws and regulations that companies are really highly attuned to. And, and so what are the take-homes for you in terms of recommendations that came out of the information you gathered? What can you share there? The take-homes for me are actually relatively simple. And it, it comes down to this. The first thing I think people who are trying to improve their risk profile as a company, they need to understand where their employees are with regard to risk. Let me give you an example there. You may, as a company, have rolled out a password manager to all of your employees and done a lot of education there. And maybe they're really good about managing their passwords, but you may have a really or understanding in your population about the importance of reporting incidents or even suspected incidents right away. So the only way you get to understanding the risk profile in your organization is if you do some things to understand your employees and your culture's particular susceptibility to risk. So we recommend phishing simulation to, to identify the phishing risk, tracking other kinds of forms of data in your environment, and doing surveys like this one in your employee population to understand your risk. So once you understand it, now you've got a good roadmap to the kinds of things that you need to work to correct. And contrary to you know, what may have been the old belief 
it's not enough to release a kind of once a year security awareness training where you make sure to cover the stuff that your employees don't know about. You've got to be regularly communicating to employees in a variety of different ways about the risks that they face if you're going to slowly, gradually nudge them in the direction of really cyber secure behavior. It strikes me also that um, it, there really is an important culture component here that you know, organizations have to, uh, instead of, uh, I guess they have to get rid of that fear of getting a slap on the risk for clicking the wrong thing or going to the wrong website, that you know, the folks who report these things, they, they should be uh, recognized as being champions looking out for the organization's security. You're right on the mark, Dave, and especially when you said, It's about creating a culture. When people are trying to create an awareness program, they've got to think not of creating a training module, but about creating an ongoing and sustained conversation in their company about how to to better protect the data that flows through the company. And that's a culture change initiative. Too often, our security and privacy programs have originated with people who, who don't necessarily understand how to move a long-term culture change initiative along. Uh, And that's what we're trying to do with this survey is just help people understand that it's complicated. Humans are, as you probably know, paradoxical, uh, sometimes Mm -hmm. contradictory creatures. And you've got to do a variety of things to try to get them to function more effectively. So one of the things that we always recommend to people is to recognize that Your employees all kind of learn and process this stuff in different ways. So it's important that you communicate to people in a variety of different ways. Some people are going to get the picture and kind of switch over to more data protective behaviors when they watch uh, a funny video that might be making fun of somebody who uses the same password every time. But Mm. other people just don't tune in to that kind of message. And they may be better off with kind of a lunch and learn session where you bring somebody in from the FBI to talk to your company. Or, you know, just imagine any of the other ways that you might communicate. It's important never to rely on one, but to use multiple channels of communication uh, on a regular cadence to kind of meet your objective. That's Tom Pendergast from MediaPro. In the U.S., Ars Technica reports that Comcast inadvertently published some 200,000 unlisted phone numbers. These are phone numbers whose users pay a monthly fee to keep them generally unavailable to searches, a throwback to the old days when an unlisted number didn't appear in a phone book. Comcast mistakenly put the unlisted numbers into its eco-listing directory from where third-party directories obtained them. Comcast has shut down eco-listing and apologized to the affected customers, The company is offering those whose purchase of an unlisted number was less than fully successful $200 in compensation and the opportunity to change to a new number, which one hopes will remain successfully unlisted. This has happened to Comcast at least once before. In 2015, the company paid a $33 million settlement in a similar case. In what appears to be a two-quoque response to earlier charges from Taipei, China has accused Taiwan of using the current COVID-19 epidemic as an opportunity to wage cyber war against the People's Republic, says Taiwan News. Last month, Taiwan's foreign minister, Joseph Wu, complained publicly that Beijing was attempting to disrupt the island republic's efforts to contain the novel coronavirus 
and that it was also running a disinformation campaign intended to erode public trust in the country's governing party with online claims that members of the Democratic Progressive Party were getting priority for receiving surgical masks. There's lots of COVID-19 mis- and disinformation circulating online, from state propaganda of the kind crossing the Formosa Straits to criminal fishbait, as American Banker notes, this famously includes a maliciously crafted map of coronavirus infections, as well as other forms of clickbait. There's also a lot of direct fraud, like bogus colloidal silver cures. Don't bite. The U.S. administration is seeking to enlist big tech in a coordinated effort to correct these forms of misinformation. Facebook, Cisco, Google, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, IBM, and Twitter have all been asked to help, as the Washington Post and Politico report. The hope is that some technical solution or solutions might help, but it's unclear that anyone has any idea of how to do this at scale. And colloidal silver is Exhibit A for the persistence of manifest nonsense. The European Union is also reviving the self-reporting system it established with U.S. big tech in the hope of finding some way of muting disinformation on the coronavirus. Twitter is the latest big tech company to mandate working from home in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, TechCrunch reports. Organizations considering making a similar decision might consider a white paper from Hisolate that offers a systematic consideration of how to make the shift to temporary telecommunications. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Mike Benjamin. He's the head of Black Lotus Labs at CenturyLink. Uh, Mike, it's always great to have you back. Um, you and I were, were joking before we started rolling here that uh, Emotet seems to be uh, the gift that keeps on giving in terms of uh, providing you and I something to talk about here. Uh, keeps bubbling back up and has a way of keeping itself in the news. 
Uh, it's been on your radar along with your team. Uh, what's noteworthy lately with Emotet? Yeah, thanks, Dave. So Emotet, as many are familiar with, is really, really one of the more dominant malware distribution methods in the internet right now. It's being used as part of the supply chain to distribute a variety of threats. Of course, ransomware being one of the more frightening ones that people have been affected by. But realistically, the team behind it's been very effective at how they update and maintain their infrastructure and deliver things. So I always like to note when they make changes in their behavior. So uh, at the beginning of this month, they started distributing a new version of their binaries. They have done this a few times before, so this is not the first time. However, it's realistically then about a week later, tends to stop their spamming. So right now as we speak, Emotet is not sending spam emails, and that is a change in behavior. And so what we really like to point out to people is during these times, the actors are reassessing how they distribute their malware, how the malware runs on a host, and they're changing things and protocols and other things that for a time will make it a little more difficult to detect and block. So right now is really the time to go through an infrastructure, look for those network available data points for the callbacks and look for the host-based uh, forensics to look for the installed malware and remove them. It's a great time while the actors aren't focused on building up their war chest of infected points to go remove some of them from infrastructure. Now, once they are back at it and they're, they're sending out Emotet again, um, what sorts of things should folks have in place to defend against it? Well, Emotet's been really effective from a few different points. First off, they attack existing infrastructure for their distribution. So both the malware distribution itself, as well as command and control, they're hacking into hosts, they're breaking into hosts, and using things that already exist. And so some of those things around how good is a site cannot, in some cases, be that effective against Emotet. Of course, they're not breaking into major websites as they do that. So they do still tend to be things like smaller businesses with WordPress and things that are being compromised, but they do have a reputation on the internet that's not negative to start with. So realistically, looking at where email's coming from, what it contains, and those tried and true things that we've tried to do for many years to stop email distribution of malware all come into play here. That's their primary vehicle. Next, when they are dropping the malware, they're using multi-stages of install, secondary payload, download, and other things that do tend to get caught by most endpoint software. So keeping those things updated, making sure that there's diligence. And then last, the, where we spend a lot of our time is looking at the network layer, trying to find where those callbacks exist. And should something get past an early check on an endpoint agent, being able to then detect it, the network and go remediate it on that individual host before it spreads more. Now, in terms of, of them altering their binaries, I mean, I, I suppose, I mean, that makes it, uh, that changes the signature of those binaries. So you need to be aware of that. Does the actual behavior change for the, the defenses that are looking for a particular type of behavior? Would, would that be altered as well? So the changes have occurred a few different times. One of the big mm -hmm. changes that we saw a couple versions ago is they started using infected hosts as part of their command and control proxy layer. This makes it a little bit easier for them to persist over time, less pressure on how many WordPress sites they happen to hack into for their, their second tier of C2 there. Um, so that was a big shift in behavior that we saw. However, most of the basics of primary maldoc driven through secondary payload download, those kinds of steps look pretty consistent across time. 
but they are a, a gang of folks that do know how to do the more smaller changes to their malware to try and evade particular checks along the way. We see them constantly changing their obfuscation methods and their maldocs because they begin to be detected with greater efficacy across the industry. They do change things like the encryption keys on their command and control protocol on a, on a monthly basis. So they're very diligent about changing things over time. But you're right, the, the core of what they're doing has been pretty consistent over time. Hmm. All right. Well, Mike Benjamin, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Thank you.